0: Hello my lovelies, this is May Kay Tsang, your podcast guesting strategist and mentor, cat lover, and the proud host of the Quiet Rebels podcast. This is the place for experts on the rise who are finally ready to stop playing small and to start showing up as the leader they've always been. And contrary to what you might think, you don't have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be heard. You've always been the type to see things differently and you've always chosen another pathway if the one laid out in front of you just doesn't align with your way of life. You're not alone in this. So to help you on your journey, I'm bringing conscious conversations to the table with myself and guest experts who will help you with the inner work that needs to be done in order to make a positive impact on the world with what you do. I see you. And now it's time to hear you, my friend. So please welcome to the Quiet Rebellion. And before we jump into today's interview, I'm so excited to let you know that this episode is brought to you by my Sustainable Visibility Incubator. If this is the first time you're hearing about this, then I wanna let you know it is my six-month high-touch group coaching program where I'll take you through a three-phase process to help you break out of the cycle of inconsistency when it comes to your visibility. It is all to help you become truly aligned with your message that you actually want to amplify. And I'm bringing this into existence, my friend, because many of the conversations that are happening online right now around visibility is pretty much put yourself out there, do this and that will happen, Start before you're ready, all the things. And while, of course, action is a crucial part of your visibility, what's also important is to become aware of the reasons why you're not showing up. And trust me when I say it is not because you're lazy, it's not because it's just fallen on the bottom of your priority list it's not because you're bad at time management or even imposter syndrome. That's all at the surface. Because what visibility is all about is being seen. And unless you have done the inner work to help you create space, And develop a capacity to receive this volume of people who will come your way through your visibility work. It will not be sustainable. And that's why in this group coaching program, it's all about aligning it to your lifestyle, your goals, your strengths, your personality. So that way, as you show up, you do want to be seen. And you want to amplify. So if you're somebody who's interested in doing the deep work in order to do the outer work and sustain it long term, I would love to see you inside the program. And due to the intimate nature of this work, this will be by application only to ensure that each individual is specifically chosen for this work. So if you are interested in applying for a space be sure to follow the link in the show notes for the application and follow the steps from there. I really can't wait to hear from you my lovely because honestly this program needs to be brought into existence now to ensure that your visibility is sustained for the long term. So I can't wait to see you there. And now on with the interview. Hello, my lovely Quiet Rebels. I'm so excited for our conversation today with my special guest, Helena Bowen. And what's really, really interesting about her story, like she's going to go into it later on, but she started volunteering for TED. And she wound up working with over 150 TED and TEDx speakers. And what's really amazing is that she's really taken on board, you know, public speaking, both online and offline. And because right now we're still, you know, all of us like globally, we're kind of like locked indoors because of COVID. And so what I love is that she's been able to transfer these public speaking skills online to video. And that's what we're going to be speaking about today to really help you to scale your business like cray cray and expand (laughs) your influence. So Helena, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you so much, May I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So could you tell us like obviously, as soon as we hear Ted, like, okay, tell us all the things, That I know that yeah. you also work in Hollywood. So could you kind of tell us, like, what's your journey been like to actually get to this point now where you help people with their public speaking on and offline?
1: Sure. Well, like most millennials, I've been kind of all over the place job-wise. Ever since I graduated from college, I got a degree in film. So I intended to work in Hollywood for the rest of my career. That Mm -hmm. obviously did not happen. But when I got to Hollywood, one thing that really surprised me that I just did not see coming, they don't warn you about it in film school, is that the minimum working hours for any day in Hollywood is 12 hours. That is like Mm. the shortest possible shift. um, And that's five or six days a week. And so I absolutely love my job. I was working on all of these movies and commercials and TV shows, but I really started to burn out at a pretty young age. And I was looking up at the people who'd been doing my job for 20 or 30 years. And a lot of them were like, childless, divorce, chain smoking, like just like had really lived a difficult life. And I really felt like it was because of that Hollywood lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And as much as I loved working on film sets, there was part of me that started to become really cynical about it because it was like, oh my gosh, I'm working 12 hours a day minimum. It was usually more like 14 or 16 hours a day barely getting any rest, not being able to go take a vacation or whatever. Um, And at the same time, I was working on these incredibly silly shows like Sex Sent Me to the ER. (laughs) Um, So I just felt like I was like, working my butt off. And then really what the results were, I was like, is this really matter? Like, is this significant or, you know, is this really making the world a better place with all of this work that I'm doing? And at the same time, I was really kind of homesick and missing my uh, crew from Boston. Mm -hmm. I had like the best college experience in Boston It was super academic. Everyone was like nerdy in the best way. And that's the opposite of Hollywood. Hollywood is very all about who you know and being seen in style and fashion and celebrity. And I felt like I was missing that academic side of my life. So that's actually where my interest in TED came in. And I started thinking, like, oh, maybe I'll volunteer at a TEDx event in my spare time. And so I ended up applying to go to TED Active, which no longer exists, but it was an old TED brand, and to do their training to become a TEDx organizer. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: really, it just completely went off the rails from there in the best way possible.
0: Oh, my goodness. What? A journey. And I really, I really appreciate that you kind of shared the non-glamorous non-glam- side of Hollywood, because of course we think of like all the movies, all the superstars, but what it really takes to make all of these things happen is a lot of hard work behind the scenes. And it's amazing that you recognize so early on that this is not where you want to be forevermore because of the kind of lifestyle that you have to uphold in order to keep doing that. Yeah. So, what do you do now, Helena?
1: Yeah. So, now I'm a speaker coach and a speechwriter, and I have my own business. Um, it really started off as a side hustle. So, after I got the training by Ted to be a TEDx organizer, I immediately started volunteering for TEDx events. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where I thought it would just I'd kind of dip my toe in it. It would just be a volunteer activity. Um, and it very quickly just spun out of control. It went from me doing it just kind of lightly as a hobby to me doing it hours and hours and hours and hours every week. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I got a job at HBO, which thank God was a little bit more reasonable. The hours were more like nine to seven, normal office job. And so basically, I was doing this job as a speaker coach and a speechwriter for TEDx speakers as a side hustle at HBO for three years. So I was using all of my vacation days and everything to do that work. And I didn't realize it at the time. Honestly, I had no idea that I was basically building a business. It didn't occur to me. I thought I was just doing this as like a little side thing. And then eventually, I was like, wait a second, I should probably just do this full time. Like this should probably just be my job. So eventually I left HBO and then started my business and now I do it full time.
0: Brilliant. And I, I feel like I need to ask you more about this experience because I think it's, it's almost like a rite of passage for, for entrepreneurs to eventually like race a TED stage, right? Yeah. So, could you kind of, um, you know, you don't have to give names or anything, but what has sure. it been like working with over 150 speakers? Like, what's it like with the prep work? What is it like with the applications? Like, who gets to be on the stage and all those sorts sure. of things?
1: Yeah. I mean, so I think the best part of my job and the reason why it suits me really well. So I work both on the selecting of speakers side Mm. and I work on the coaching of speaker side, depending on the event. So some events I'm just selecting speakers, some events I'm just coaching speakers and everything in between. But in terms of selecting speakers for TEDx events, I think what's been most interesting is just for me to get to see literally tens of thousands of different applications and see what people are applying with. And Mm. I think my biggest lesson is that a lot of people try to kind of mimic other people Mm. and do things that they've already seen done already. And the talks that usually end up getting accepted are so specific and so niche and so original. Um, like we always talk about how a TED or TEDx talk should be a talk that only you can give that Mm -hmm. other people couldn't give that exact same talk. Um, So I think that's something that i learned from other business people or that would apply to business people and entrepreneurs is if you're aspiring to be on the TED or TEDx stage, think about what that talk is that only you could give based on your life experience. And I think that will steer you away from a lot of those more generic kind of motivational topics that hundreds or thousands of people are applying with.
0: Mm. Oh, that's so important. And I think that really connects with, you know, what we do as Quiet Rebels is just like, we have something big that lights up our soul. And it's not from anybody else. It's just, it just comes from within. And so to realize that TEDx um, events really thrive on finding people like that is really really lovely to hear.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a huge misconception in the public that Mm. the people who thrive as a public speaker are massive, gregarious extroverts Mm -hmm. and that you have to be that way. And that is so not true. I mean, I definitely identify as an introvert and I think most of my clients that I work with identify as an introvert and they find it within themselves to give a speech in front of, thousands of people because they believe in the material so much and they're so yeah. passionate and excited about it.
0: Yes, absolutely. So l- let's talk about this a bit more because um, in the green room, we were talking about how this big myth <laughs> around, you know, being a great public speaker, to be honest, like so many public speakers that I really admire, they're actually all introverts. So, okay. So Let's make it clear. Extroverts aren't the only one who can be on stages. Introverts are just as welcome. And uh, what other misconceptions do you think that people have about public speaking that make it so scary, you know? Yeah,
1: oh, such a good question. I could literally talk about this all day long. Hopefully, oh, so I do. hope you have time. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I think the biggest misconceptions around public speaking all have to do with fear. And mm. I think a lot of that fear comes from the fact that people think that they want to that the audience wants you to be perfect on stage. So a lot of times we're used to showing up on social media as kind of our casual best selves and then a lot of entrepreneurs and business people especially think that as soon as they step onto a bigger stage that they have to be this like perfect actor who mm. says all the funniest best inspirational things at all the perfect times. But That's not really true. In fact, if you look at all of the highest performing TED Talks on TED.com, if you sort by most views, you will be shocked at actually how imperfect those people are. Really, what the audience wants is someone to relate to. They want to see you as like a friend or a mentor, not this. Perfect immortal being that they can put on a pedestal. And so, what you'll notice when you sort on TED.com by views is that most of the top watch talks, in fact, pages and pages and pages of the top watch talks, people are super casual, super conversational. They do not say all the quippiest, funniest, best lines at all the right times. They're really more just having a chat with their audience. And I think when you frame it like that, when you frame it as like a conversation and not a performance, Mm. it tends to ease people's nerves quite a bit because they let go of feeling like they have to be this perfect actor and realize that they can just be kind of the best version of themselves, like the version that woke up after like a good night's rest and had the water and like vegetables and whatever, but still your essential self, nothing else.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that is so reassuring to hear. Because there are so many people in the audience, you're right that there is this fear that, like, oh my god, I need to like be my best, look my best, act my best in order to be taken seriously. I think that's mm-hmm. the thing, right? Because you know, let's talk about you know why public speaking is actually so powerful. You know, yeah. in regards to you know credibility and positioning, and that's where a lot of the fear is that like, attached to. So, could you kind of like help us walk through this maze?
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing about public speaking, and perhaps I'm a little bit biased, I'm obviously a public Oh,
0: please speaking be biased. Coach. Bias is great. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I personally think it is like the best way to establish a connection with your audience as a business person or entrepreneur. And really that all comes down to kind of like this human animalistic nature of speaking. It is the most primal method of communication that we have. Whereas, you know, if you're a service provider, for example, if you are on video or if you're on a podcast or on stage, that is kind of the most direct possible experience people could have of you, before they start to work with you. So I find that for a lot of my clients who are service providers, they'll, you know, once they start speaking regularly, they'll jump onto sales calls with with like piping hot leads, basically, Mm -hmm. because people will have seen them speak and seen them on video and fallen in love with who they are as a person and not just the potential of what service they could provide. And so it kind of wins them over in this Mm -hmm. almost like primal way. You're hearing their voice, you're seeing their face, your facial expressions, everything. It just sells people on you in a different way. And I think that's especially too with, true as well with courses. If you're a course creator, maybe you have a group program, that kind of thing. When you look online at Udemy or Coursera, there is probably a $20 version of yeah. your course available on one of those platforms. <laughs> And so really, when you think about it, when you're buying a course or a group coaching program, you are not buying that program. You are buying the host, the person who's leading the program. And so what better way to, you know, promote that program than for people to be seeing you show up in kind of a conversational environment like you would be inside of that program.
0: Mm, Oh my God, so much of this is so true. And so I know that right now, because of covid that many of us you know submitting a speaker application for some live events probably isn't the best way to go and what i love is that you kind of like show that this is flexible like you know there's public speaking on stage on video and on podcast and i know your specialty is video so could you kind of like tell us like how can we communicate that same experience as you would have on stage through a video Sure.
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I definitely think people have made the mistake for many years of seeing public speaking on a stage and putting it on this pedestal as this separate other thing that's Mm -hmm. distinct from the rest of our content. It really exists in the same ecosystem as everything else we do as entrepreneurs to create content. And so I'm just asking people to add video as one of those things if they haven't already. And we know it works. By the way, um, anything you do on video is just going to support those other aspects of your content. Some of the most famous entrepreneurs out there, like Gary V or Marie Forleo, they really got their start on video, right? So mm-hmm. Marie Forleo had Marie TV, Gary Vaynerchuk had the Wine Library TV, then the Gary V Experience. And that led to them getting all of these other gigs, right? They have so many podcast episodes and they're on TV and they're on stages constantly. In fact, Gary Vee is now one of the top 10 highest paid speakers in the world. And that didn't come from him speaking on stage. It came from years and years and years of him speaking on online video. And I think the direction we're going in now, especially with younger people being so, so comfortable on camera, right? Yes. The Gen Z, and I think it's called Gen Alpha now. I'm uh, not sure. Uh,
0: I have no idea about a different generation. <laughs> yeah, like, uh. <laughs>
1: totally. But they're <laughs> yeah. all digital natives. So they grew up with this technology, whereas a lot of us listeners are probably a little bit older and we learned it in like high school, college, right after college. But because they're so comfortable getting on camera, especially as we see on TikTok, Mm -hmm. I think it's going to change over the years that what is now like an unfair advantage because so few people want to get on video will kind of become you know par for the course. I think in 10 years, if you have a business, you're just going to have to get on video and that's how it is, especially because right now 80% of online traffic is video. Mm -hmm. So the best way that I see for entrepreneurs to get on video and get started right now today is to think about how you already repurpose content in your business. So basically right now, most entrepreneurs are already recycling and reusing and changing content because there's really no other way to keep <laughs> up, right? there's We yes. have to create so much content for so many different platforms. So one person might create a blog that turns into also... An email and an Instagram post. Mm-hmm. And you can really just add video into that routine pretty easily. So if you if you look back at your old blogs, your old emails, your old IG posts, anything like that, just look and see what performed really well. Take those things and then just make a video of you saying it. Like it doesn't have to be perfect, just bullet point it out, get on camera. And reuse that content because that way you're not feeling like video has to be this whole big separate thing that you have to do and add to your routine. You can just add it to your existing content routine.
0: Mm, That's so true. And when it comes to video, do you actually recommend people start with doing live video or pre-recorded? And why. Totally <laughs>
1: up to you and your comfort zone. Yeah. So I mean, my answer with anything video, and this is so, this like kills my little film student soul to say all of this because I spent so many years learning all the best cameras and how to use them and the best sound equipment. <laughs> and like, you know, working in Hollywood, you spend weeks and months and years just working on one little piece of video content. But my answer to any business person or entrepreneur would be to get started by like crossing the lowest hurdle possible, like Mm -hmm. literally do the easiest possible thing. So if the easiest thing is for you to jump on, you know, IGTV and just record a quick video, then do that. You don't need anything more than your phone pretty much everyone listening right now has a phone that's good enough to record really high quality video. And so I think a lot of people will oftentimes use, especially us entrepreneurs and especially us perfectionists who love to research everything to death, will use equipment as a tool for procrastination. Like, oh, I have to wait. Like, I need to research what the best camera is. I need to research you know, which microphone should I use? Should I use more of like a stick microphone? Should I get a lavalier? You know, do I have the right lighting equipment? All of these things, but you can get started with your phone in front of a natural light source and nothing else today. Like right now, as soon as you listen to this podcast. So my suggestion, do whatever is easiest and quickest for you. And then start with whatever platform you feel best about. So if you feel really great about IG, you love me on Instagram, your best audience is there. Just make some videos for IGTV or jump on live and see what happens. And then you can test from there on other platforms.
0: Mm, I feel like I need to like share this. <laughs> okay. When it comes to pre-recorded and live, I think if you tend to be a procrastinator, I actually would recommend doing live streams and it's because you have to be okay with everything not being perfect. And because when I, cause I used to have a YouTube channel actually, and now I'm thinking of going back to it. And the thing is I actually stopped because of all the things that you said, it was like feeling like everything has to be perfect with the lighting, the, you know, for men and women, you know, makeup, hair, mm. clothes, like all the things. Right. And it's just, just, just get started. And it's just a new way for people to connect with you because on podcasts, you feel that intimate connection because you can hear our voices. But with video, you can see their faces, their expressions, and their, you know, their body language as well. And that communicates so much more as well. So just got to get started. So you're saying that with just like pick any platform? Yes. And just,
1: yeah. And I, I mean, I think what you were just saying about makeup is so perfect. So, when <laughs> I started doing a bunch of video for my business, I kind of had this cobbler's child or something. What was have you that? heard that phrase? <laughs> <laughs> I no Basically, what- like, they, it's this old fashioned phrase that, like, the children of cobblers, the people who make shoes, would never have good shoes because the cobblers would be so busy making good shoes for everyone else. Oh, and I had that see. going on in my business for the longest time because I was spending so much time helping other people create talks and speeches and videos and everything that I didn't make any of my own content. And Mm. then when I started making video content for my own business, I made the very intentional choice of anytime I'm hopping on video, I'm not doing my hair. I'm not doing any really fancy makeup because I realized that that would just be another reason not to get on camera. So when you see me on camera, I'm usually in my living room. I have not styled my hair At all. (laughs) And I've done kind of like the bare minimum, like quick five minute makeup routine because I think otherwise that stops a lot of people. And the truth of the matter is, and again, my Hollywood self just dies hearing this, but (laughs) any more production quality doesn't matter that much, especially when you think about what people are watching right now. TikTok, the fastest growing social media platform. The production values on TikTok are so (laughs) low that it is hilarious. And it's almost like a signature of that platform that people make almost intentionally really crappy videos, right? (laughs) Um, And so any excuses that you have around like, oh, I don't have the perfect background, you know, I want it to look beautiful and perfect and staged – Anymore people don't want that. In fact, I've seen many statistics online that kind of selfie style casual conversational videos actually usually perform better anyway.
0: Mm. Okay, so quiet rebel, do you hear that? Don't need to be perfect. And like I I feel really drawn now, like after this interview. To actually just like jump on more lines because it's been on my radar to be like oh maybe I should do more IGTV videos because I've I do Insta stories quite often every week but nothing is ever permanent it's almost like oh okay but it's not staying on my feed so it's okay but I realise now um, after speaking to you that it's okay to kind of like have something that's a bit more permanent and if God forbid it's it's such a hated video or anything I can delete it if I want to <laughs>
1: absolutely you can always <laughs> delete it and that's why I suggest when people are getting started like you can just try it out today. Just make a video, see what you think. You, know, you can always delete it. There's no shame in that. Really the ultimate goal for any of us entrepreneurs is to be bingeable, in my opinion, because mm. whether you're a service provider or a course creator, you have programs, products, whatever, the ideal scenario is that someone Google searches you and they can just go down a wormhole of your content. And you may already have that with written content or blog posts or media articles, whatever, but hopefully they could go onto YouTube or IGTV or TikTok and just accidentally spend an hour or two hours or three hours consuming your content and really falling in love with you and getting so much value out of you that they just can't wait to work with you.
0: Mm. And on that note, what do you think makes content bingeable?
1: Ooh, great question. Well, I think it all depends on the platform. So what makes something bingeable on YouTube is a little bit different than TikTok or IGTV, right? TikTok Mm -hmm. is all about having the shortest, snappiest, to-the-point messaging, oftentimes funny or silly or creative or clever, whereas on YouTube, people are looking for a lot more substance. So the Mm -hmm. videos that perform better on YouTube are usually a little bit more in-depth, a little bit more researched. Definitely more research probably most of the time than TikTok. Um, And I would say IGTV is somewhere in the middle. Mm. So it just all depends on what platform you're using. You can oftentimes reuse videos across platforms, though. A lot of the people that I work with will create one video and then use it on Facebook, LinkedIn, and IGTV, for example. They'll Mm. just edit it slightly differently so that it looks native to those platforms.
0: Mm. Okay, so... I'm just thinking so there's a spectrum of different types of way of showing up on video so TikTok if you're going to be super cash super to the point and silly Mm. (laughs) so yeah definitely feel that IG is like in the middle so I think um, many of my uh, listeners, uh, Quiet Rebels here, they are actually on Instagram. So could you kind of like go a little bit deeper into IGTV? Because to be honest, I am raising my hand and saying that I, I know what it is, but I actually don't know sure. how to do IGTV. So.
1: Yeah. Okay. I had to Google this myself because it's <laughs> not intuitive. Weirdly. Not, you actually Yeah. You actually download a separate app called IGTV right now. It's not in the tick or in the IG app. And then Mm -hmm. you upload through that app and it shows up on Instagram. But really, I think the key for any online video content is that you want to just pick the narrowest, littlest possible slice of your expertise and make a video about that and then pick another slice and make a video about that. What I see as a big mistake on IGTV a lot of the times is that people will try to go way too broad with their topic and then they'll essentially run out of content. Mm -hmm. Whereas like if you just pick the tiniest, littlest slice of an idea, make an IGTV video like in the three to 10 minute length then you can make infinite more videos for IGTV. Most IGTV videos are in the vertical format. And Mm -hmm. I have hired someone to add captions and add a title just because I find they perform so much better because a lot of times people are listening probably in bed, right? Without their (laughs) audio on. So I think adding subtitles can be a huge value add for people. But the real key is to just pick a tiny little slice of your expertise make a quick little video, post it, move on, pick another little slice, post it, move on.
0: Mm, okay. And in regards to the content itself, so you just gave an idea there that, you know, go narrow, not broad. So basically it's just like, how do you come up with your own content? For yeah. uh, I, know, I know that's like a big loaded question. But like, yeah. I mean, because for those who uh, want to get started with video, like where should they start in their content? Like, What's the roadmap like to be consistent with the videos?
1: For sure. So, I mean, I usually batch video content just because I advise everyone else to do that just because that way you can, you know, knock out 10 videos at a time and then, you know, you'll have a bunch of content to post day after day after day without having to set up your camera and plan your script and like write out your talking points or whatever. It's just that much more efficient I recommend people start with the frequently asked questions they get from the public. So we'll all get these questions in our DMs or comments on our posts that people are asking over and over and over again. Like, I don't know about you, but I think most of the questions I get anywhere are probably the same like 20 or 30 questions, right? (laughs) So if you can start by answering those that can be super helpful for your audience and it can be super time-saving for you too because then anytime anyone asks you that question the fish in the future you can just say hey check out this video that i made mm. um, and then beyond that i always recommend that people go to this amazing website i think it's called answer the public
0: have yes. you heard of this yep. website yeah.
1: yeah so the the brilliance behind answer the public is that it pulls all of the most frequently asked questions On search engines from your country. And the thing that's amazing about that is it helps entrepreneurs and business people overcome the curse of knowledge. So (laughs) the curse of knowledge is basically like if you've been working in a field, so in my example, public speaking for years and years and years, you've totally forgotten what it's like to be a beginner. You've forgotten Mm -hmm. what beginners know or don't know what their questions are. All of those things. So if you go to that website, answerthepublic.com, you'll be able to see what are those most basic questions, and you'll be amazed at how basic they are. Like when I look up public speaking, it's things like, what is public speaking? You know, but maybe create a video around that because if that's one of the top search questions for public speaking, you know, someone wants to hear about it.
0: Yeah, I've used that website before when I was doing YouTube, actually making sure that I was uh, creating content that was relevant you know, to questions that people actually ask, And it was just really enlightening. As you were saying, it was just like, well, these are actually really simple. I don't have to go too complex too soon. Just cover the foundations first and then just like build it up from there.
1: Yeah. That was one of the biggest mistakes I made with my own content. When I started creating content for my business, I was creating content almost like for myself kind of without Mm. realizing it. Like I was answering (laughs) these really advanced questions, not realizing that the the questions that my audience really wanted to hear were like the most basic things that to me are almost like common knowledge, but they're not, you know, Mm. because obviously... I've been doing this for long enough that my expertise is not common knowledge.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think so many of us just can relate to this curse of knowledge, as you were saying, that we don't realize how much we actually know because of all the things that we've learned, all our experiences, all compiled into, you know, the person that we are today. But that may not be able to relate to someone who's just starting on the path that you're on. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. And finally, one of the last questions I want to ask you was, so we're on video. What do we do from there? I mean, like, how do we like be strategic with our video content and how it links back to, you know, people onto our email list and, you know, drawing in clients? I mean, like, how do you do that?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, so anyone who's an entrepreneur or business owner can strategically do all of the same things that they might do in a text post in video as well. So calls to action around joining a list, calls to action around downloading a freebie, calls to action around a particular launch. So when you're looking at your content calendar or planning out your content for the upcoming months, just add video to that and add all the normal calls to action that you would use if you were creating a text post based around what's happening in your business at that time. And then once you're sharing more and more videos, what you'll see that's really interesting is that they oftentimes will get, you know, hits months and months and years yes. after you post them, that's which true. I think is a little bit different from a lot of the things we're used to be doing on social media. Right. Cause like mm. when I create an Instagram post, I pretty much assume that most people are going to see it in 24 hours. And if they mm-hmm. haven't seen it in 24 hours, you know, maybe a <laughs> handful of people will see it after that, but not very many. Yeah. Whereas the brilliant thing about video and actually, especially TikTok, TikTok serves up content that's months and months and months old mm-hmm. as new content. Same is true of YouTube, obviously. But the thing that's brilliant about that is that you can create this content that's essentially evergreen that's getting hits and hits and hits and hits and hits but that just means that a lot of your CTAs will want to be a little bit more general because Mm. you don't want to have all of your videos having hyper-specific, time-sensitive calls to action because most people will be seeing it days, weeks, months after you post it. So certainly use a few time-sensitive things, but just don't make that the majority
0: of what you're doing. Mm. And that is too true because I've been getting emails from youtube in the last couple of weeks saying like oh so and so, subscribe to your youtube channel that's been like dormant since october 2018 and i still get comments on the videos that i did about website copy and i'm like oh my goodness so i still make sure that the um the lead magnets i shared there they are still live for the people who do want to do that and for any leads that do actually come through i have a circle of, you know, preferred suppliers, as we call them, <laughs> or collaborators and partners that I can just like send people to, um, because it's not my realm of work anymore, but it's true that video literally lives on forever. If I, if you type your name in Google, <laughs> um, and if you've done some videos before, they will pop up on the, yeah. <laughs> on the search. For
1: yeah. Which I always use as kind of like a little bit of a threat to my Cat and <laughs> yeah. TEDx speakers. I'm like, just so you know, this will be online forever. No pressure. But they always do a good job.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, okay. So I feel like the barrier to entry when it comes to doing video is so much more lower now. So thank you so much for just kind of like debunking these myths and misconceptions for us on how we can like literally just get started today with adding video to our business. Yeah. So could you help um, you know, because we covered quite a lot of stuff. So could you just kind of like recap, you know, just a step by step how we can just get started after the episode today.
1: Yes. So here's what I'd suggest. Look back through your preferred channel. So maybe that's email or Instagram or Facebook or your blog and find some of the really high performing content that you created in the past or even content that you really love, but that didn't, didn't get as much traction as you wanted. Take that content and just basically turn it into a script. So make bullet points out of it say it out loud a few times, rehearse it a little bit, and then just literally record it on your phone. So record it in the camera app on your phone or record it right into IGTV or TikTok or you know, create a video for YouTube. But it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Just reuse something that you already have.
0: Yep. Okay. Love that okay so we obviously have so much more to learn <laughs> um, that we aren't able to cover in this uh interview today but where can people go find you Helena for those who really want to invest in learning more about public speaking through video or when the stages are open again
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so my website is helenabowen.com and I'm everywhere on social media at
0: Helena speaking okay any hyphens or anything like
1: that Nope. oh,
0: helena oh cool speaking. oh I nice know. nice that's
1: one of the rare things about having a unique name which i'm sure is the same case for you too is that you oh, can yes. actually get things online
0: <laughs> yes you can i was i was so happy when i could use like make Zhang like for my website yeah <laughs> no dashes required right okay so i'll be sure to pop all of the links in the show notes so my lovelies, so if you want to connect with helena then please do um go to the link in the episode show notes where you can find her everywhere online at Helena speaking. (laughs) And so we've got two final questions before I let you go, Helena. So number one, what makes you a quiet rebel?
1: Yeah. So I think what makes me a quiet rebel is I have this kind of secretive side of me where if I'm interested in something, I am not going to tell people right away. I'm going to spend probably weeks or months or even years sometimes just kind of quietly investigating it on my own and testing it out. I don't know if that has to do with the fact that I'm like an only child or an introvert or what, but I've just found that I love kind of figuring things out on my own for a little while, and then eventually going public with it when I'm feeling really great about it.
0: Mm. Yes, I think we can literally all relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, for those who are new to the podcast, this may be a little new thing, but for those who are recurring listeners and you know what's happening next, my lovelies. So when you hear the sound effect, It means it's time for a fact of the day. And so Helena is in our hot seat. (laughs) Helena, I'd love to ask you, what is one fun story or weird fact about you that no one else knows? Ooh,
1: let's see. I think the fun story that's not online yet, weirdly, I probably should talk about this now that you're (laughs) saying it, is so back when I worked on Sex Sent Me to the ER, we did an (laughs) episode about skydiving and obviously the couple tries to have sex when they're skydiving. doesn't go well. (laughs) But in the course of creating that episode, I suddenly went from being someone who has zero interest whatsoever in skydiving to being someone who is slightly curious about it. So my roommate at the time bought me tickets, I guess is the word, to go skydiving. So we decided to go skydiving together, got up into the plane. It was terrifying. I had like as soon as we got the tickets, I had nightmares for weeks leading up. I was like, oh, I'm going to die. This is horrible. Like, I Why are we doing this? I should cancel. I actually postponed the date a few times because I was so scared. But we got in the plane into the sky and I was strapped to a man. And what I didn't realize at the time is he kept looking out the window and being like, oh, I can't see where we're supposed to land. Like, I can't <laughs> see and because it, it was cloudy. And it never occurred to me that you shouldn't go skydiving when it's cloudy. You're only yeah. supposed to go skydiving when it's like clear skies. Yeah. And the pilot was like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Like just jump basically. <laughs> <laughs> so we like jumped out of the plane, which was terrifying enough. I It was so chaotic. Like it was the craziest chaotic. Like I didn't know right from left up from down. Like there was just so much sound and noise and wind. And then our parachute went off and I was like, phew, case closed. Like I'm going to live. We're going to be fine. And then this guy who I'm strapped to just calmly says in my ear, he was like, so we're several miles away from where we're supposed to land. (laughs) And he was like, but don't worry. I base jump all the time. So we're going to be totally fine. And I just looked down below us and there is nothing but like houses and highways (gasps) and swimming pools and like literally nothing. We were supposed to land in like a big field, right? So to have this super gentle landing. So he eventually found this like greenhouse and we ended up crash landing (gasps) into a greenhouse. Like literally the second we hit the ground, I was like, that's it. Every bone in my body is broken. (laughs) Like I'm going to be paralyzed. I don't know. And keep in mind that I was strapped to him. So he was taking the force of my weight as well in the ground. We actually ripped out a power line and wrapped our parachute (gasps) around it. Yeah. It was wild. And then we ended up, it was a Sunday, we were locked inside of this greenhouse facility. So we ended up having to like scale this fence. And then we were like, kind of walking around the highway, thinking we were going to have to hitchhike. Luckily, someone saw us and like came and picked us up. But the craziest part about it is after that insane experience of like essentially crashing as a skydiver, my roommate, the person who was most excited about skydiving, they didn't let him do it because they were like, oh, it's too cloudy now. (laughs) so I had to go through this insane experience and then they later let him go and he had the most like angelic heavenly landing ever he just kind of like poof like right (laughs) on the ground so gentle it's like that was not my experience needless to say I will not be going skydiving again
0: (laughs) oh my god but you survived and you literally lived to like tell the tale and yes yes But that's also, that
1: was a quiet, rubbly thing, too, because I didn't want to tell anyone that I had, like, an interest in skydiving for a while. And so after that crazy crash situation happened, I called everyone and I was like, so guess what just happened?
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, okay. But even though you didn't have the most angelic landing as your roommate did, you have quite the story.
1: (laughs) it's true honestly yeah. it's one of my best stories so I'm glad yeah. that it happened in that regard
0: <laughs> yeah and thank you so much for sharing that with us so I have not been skydiving and I've always wanted to because I'm actually quite the adrenaline junkie that's not actually that abundantly obvious to be honest when yeah when, when people learn this about me they're like you really and I'm like yeah baby <laughs> You should do it. Oh, yeah. It, it's on it's on my adventure list. Like we don't call it a bucket list. My partner came up with this term. Like it's the eventual list. Like we actually will eventually get to it. So nice. It's on there. It's on there. Yeah,
1: do it ASAP. I mean, that I think that's a very COVID-friendly activity. You're not mm-hmm. within, I guess. I mean, you are strapped to someone. So yeah, as long true. as they're as long as they don't have coronavirus, you're fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like medical checks first. All yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Oh, my God. So, Helena, this has been an awesome, awesome interview. So, thank you so much for coming on to the Quiet Rebels podcast today to share all things video. And thank you for making it way less scary than many of us make it out to be in our heads.
1: Aw, thank you so much. And I hope all of you listening jump right into video today. You're
0: going to do great. Yes, and tag us if you do. So, I'm going to pop yeah. our, our handles in the show notes so you can tag us straight away. And, yeah. So, Hannah, thank you so much. Thank you. And so, my lovely, there we have it. So everything that we mentioned in today's interview will be popped into the show notes. So be sure to head for that link. And if you haven't done that already, I would so love it if you could subscribe to this podcast because that way you don't miss a single episode and another conscious conversation. And of course, if you feel cool to, I would so appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review because that really helps other quiet rebels find us. Oh my goodness. Okay, another great episode. And so I will be back, same place, same time next week for another episode of the Rebels Podcast. So until then, my lovely, do take care and bye for now.